0: you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 31. For all that are visitors with us this morning, we are journeying through the book of Exodus together. We've come now to the section noted as the tabernacle. Last week we talked about the blueprint of the tabernacle. The imagery of the tabernacle is a foreshadowing of the living, breathing embodiment of God in the flesh, Jesus himself. So now we come to Exodus chapter 31. Before we uh, enter into our study of God's word, I know all of us gather together reminded of the devastating effects of the earthquakes that hit the regions of Turkey and Syria. The death toll has now eclipsed over 25,000. It is hard for us to even begin to process uh, here where we're so far away from that and even sometimes we we are at a loss to know how to pray. We actually have friends of Dawson who are living as cross-cultural workers in that region that were far from the epicenter of that and they're safe and they're sound, but there is no person in that region that is not affected by the emotional toll and in some respects the the physical toll that that is taking. And so uh, there's a temptation for us to move on, especially within the states, to move on to the sort of the next distraction, but let us us lean in and to be mindful and prayerful. How do we do that? I'm reminded of, of... Decades ago in the public broadcasting, there was Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and he, he said something that continues to, to be, I think, very profound. What do you do in those sort of scary moments? What do you do in those moments where you're at a loss for, the, for words? And, and he was given counsel to just young children, but it's counsel that really is to all of us, and that's to look, look for the helpers. Look for the helpers. And as Christians, we don't just look for the helpers, but we pray for the helpers and we support the helpers. And so I do just want to remind you that that we have, as the body of Christ here at Dawson, we have those that are called to regions around the world that we're able to pray for and to support. And, And I want to remind you, just as a member here of this church... Who faithfully gives to this church that that you enable us to be on the front lines through the breath of the body of Christ in entities that we support, like the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board, in what is called sin relief. And so, when the disasters that hit our state, and when the disasters that hit our nation, and when the disasters that hit our world because we do not live in the Garden of Eden and the, the fall of the world, creation itself groans longing for redemption, and so this will not be the first nor will it be the last as long as the Lord tarries his return. But we are able as a church not have to gather up on Monday and say, how are we going to respond to this disaster? And how are we going to respond to this disaster? One of the great joys of being a part of a larger denomination is, is that we're able to have helpers the front lines of each and every disaster for the good of those that are there, but ultimately for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so just be reminded that in these moments, we, we look for the helpers, but more than that, we pray for the helpers and we support the helpers. And we also say, God, are you calling me? Are you calling me to to live in, in this region or that region? And we're open to God's call upon our lives also I want us to move to Exodus chapter 31 as we continue to be mindful and prayerful of uh, that region of the world that has been so devastated over the course of this last week. Exodus chapter 31 is our guide this morning as we study the word of God and the building of the tabernacle. Think about a successful organization with me. Think of some of the components of a successful organization you're going to have in that organization, some type of visionary leader someone who dreams, someone who sees things, it might be multiple people, they see things at a 35,000 foot level, they are able to cast vision, they're able to see that down the road, what other people can't see. In any successful team, any successful organization and company, you're, you're gonna have people that are champions, that they're just by their temperament encouragers, they are by their temperament nurturers. They might even not be in that role necessarily, on the the hierarchy and the and the job descriptions, but they just they just breed a, an encouraging spirit, and you need those kinds of people in any kind of successful organization, any kind of healthy team. Also, you're going to need around the table. You're going to need some analytical minds. Uh, sometimes we call them devil adv- devil's advocates. Uh, we need people not just when ideas are proposed. We don't just need everyone around the table to say yippee. Yay, that is 100% amazing. We need around the table of any good successful organization, we need people who are able to, to look at other angles and to say, well, what about, have we thought about? This reminds me of, and I see something missing or I see something that needs to be added. So we need those visionary dreamers. We need those champions, nurturers, encouragers. We need those devils, advocates around the table. And also in any successful organization, they're just gonna be doers. Those those people that say, give me the list. Number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, and we could take the the vision at 35,000 feet and we can land that plane and see it to its destination. We can actually make these things work. And so for any of you that are in the sanctuary that feel a kinsmanship with that, that doer, task-oriented drive and focus and personality type, you've got some Old Testament ancestors, two of them that we're going to discover in Exodus 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I've appointed with him a holy Ab, the son of ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Verse 7, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all of its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest and the garments of his sons, For their service as priest and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. We discover two men that are called by name to be official craftsmen, to be the artisans, to be what really is for the tabernacle, the project General superintendent and then we've got the assistant superintendent. We've got the project superintendent and the assistant superintendent that are given the task by God. But not just given the task, but they're empowered by the very spirit of God to accomplish this vision that God has given to Moses. Moses will not be the one that does this. Moses gets the blueprint from the very words of God. He writes these in detail here. But someone has got to take this architectural vision given by God and, and make it become a reality. So there's sewing that's got to be done. There's sawing that's got to be done. We've got to cut some stone and we've got to do some engraving. We've got to cast some metal here. So we need some artisans. We need some cra- uh, carpenters and master craftsmen. We need them to interstage left. Into the story of the tabernacle here. And it's in this moment here that we have two that are named, Bezalel and Holiab, that, that are going to be in these primary roles. Now, there are others that receive a calling. Their names are lost to the history book here. We, we don't know their name, but there are many others. But these two, they they rise to a point of prominence here. They didn't interview for it it isn't as if they're overhearing god speaking to moses and saying hey when i was in egypt we've got 10 tabernacles that we built back there so so here's our portfolio Of all the previous work that we have done here, and here it is before you know, they receive this not through extensive resume, uh, speculation and and interviews and those kinds of things. Rather, they receive a very calling by name from God here. Now, we don't need to go to the other extreme and to think that there weren't probably some experience that they had back in Egypt. There's nothing in the text that tells us that that they, they had no experience doing this are no ability doing this, but their experience isn't enough. Their ability isn't enough. So verse 3 tells us that the spirit of God is going to fill Bezael and is going to give him ability and intelligence with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze. The ability that they need is not just a human ability. They need a supernatural feeling of God to be able to accomplish the very place that He is going to dwell with His people in the midst of the wilderness. The very place that God would dwell, their talent, their background, their experience, all that's in Egypt is not enough. God must fill them, God must guide them. It's a high point in scripture. If we're following along the development of of the very revelation of God, there is a previous time and other times where the Spirit of God has entered into the story of God's people here. First time that the Spirit of God has filled a person for a purpose and a task Will not be the last time the Spirit of God fills someone. And we'll get to that, the New Testament implications for us as Christians here. But note, as we're looking at the tabernacle, as the Spirit descends upon these two men, it harkens back to a time where where God is in another building project. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we have the Spirit of God on the scene, hovering over the water. And not only does the tabernacle, like I said last week, foreshadow the living embodiment, Jesus, the God in flesh walking among us, the living, breathing tabernacle. So there are, as we listen to the scripture, there are echoes of Eden in the tabernacle. That as God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden, so God will dwell with his people in the tabernacle. Just as there's a tree of life in the Garden of Eden, so there will be a lampstand that is modeled in the very image of the tree of life that is going to be in the tabernacle. Just as gold would decorate the Garden of Eden, so gold will be used to decorate the tabernacle, just as the cherubim. warriors outside guarding the very entrance as Adam and Eve are, are cast out of the Garden of Eden and there are the cherubim there. So the cherubim will be memorialized there in the tabernacle as the instructions are given. I have a real fondness for this passage of scripture. I don't know about you, but when I'm walking through the tabernacle, it is really easy to get lost in all the linens and the leather descriptions all the precious stones, all the carved woods. It, it is easy to get lost in the details. And there's something about this passage that just brings it down to practicalities. <laughs> the thing's got to be built. And how will it be built? Now, God could have. God could have. A couple of years ago, Danielle and I, we, we did some renovation in our, uh, our garage, in our basement. So what was in our garage had to go somewhere. And so we bought a shed. We bought it online. And the people who built the shed, they had a warehouse. And they prefabricated the shed and built it in the warehouse. They loaded it on a truck. They came and then they delivered it and plopped it in our backyard. Completely built off-site. God could have. He's omnipotent. His prerogative is to do whatever he wants to. He could have in the warehouse of heaven built the tabernacle, and like the manna that descends from God, from heaven, he could have descended the tabernacle and plopped it in place, but he didn't. He used ordinary people, extraordinarily equipped by the Spirit to do his work. He could have said to Moses, here are all the materials It it is a human scavenger hunt. Go find the materials, pile them up, and I'm gonna use Moses and have his staff to be sort of like a Harry Potter wand, abracadabra, and all of it comes together to show the might of God, but he didn't do that. He gives the blueprint and the accomplishment of the work is through ordinary people extraordinarily equipped by the spirit of God, to do his work. Now there is a temptation for us to hear this just as ancient history that is so far removed from your life and my life. We read it, we move on, but if we have ears to hear and eyes to see, the same spirit that is moving in the wilderness is moving in the hearts of his followers this morning. How? Well, God calls us to join in his work. God calls you and me, ordinary people, equipped extraordinarily by the spirit of God that dwells in us, in our conversion, when we're sealed by the spirit, and the ongoing work of the spirit of God that grows us to look more like Jesus. Now, we have work to do. Are you called to go build a tabernacle? Am I called to go build a tabernacle? The answer to that is no, but we are called to be, well, every time we walk into the sanctuary, we look to see our vision to be found faithful as God's people. Our mission is a reminder of the work that we're called to do to become and to help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. And God could accomplish that mission to advance his kingdom here on this earth the kingdom of God, the very rule and reign of God in the hearts and the lives of each and every one of us, he could accomplish that work with angelic beings, but he chooses not to. He chooses to use you and me. He chooses to use us. With all of our imperfections and mishaps and mistakes, ordinary people like us, to point people to the rule and the reign of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And He does that in your workplace, He does that in your home. He does that when you're on your knees in prayer, seeking his will in his way. He does that in the intentionality of the friendships that you build. He does that in your language, in the way that you speak as an encourager. He does that in the integrity of your life. He does that in the witness of you in the workplace, working hard, understanding that you work unto the Lord. And the distinctive and the different way that opens an opportunity for you to point people through your works, through the work of Jesus, to be salt and light so that people may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. We don't build the kingdom of God, but we advance the kingdom as we pray, thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Spirit of God uses each and every one of us to do his work. My question to you this morning is, who are you working for? Who are you working for this morning? Whose agenda are you advancing this morning? Whose applause and approval reigns in your life this morning? There is no more basic question for us who are followers of Jesus, those who have been captured by his grace. Who today are we working for? God calls us to join in his work. But finally this morning, I want you to see that God calls us to be filled with his spirit. There are things in the Old Testament that are descriptive but not prescriptive. This is important as we understand that we want to be good, faithful readers of the Bible, So here we have Bezalel who is filled with the Spirit in the Old Testament for a purpose, to build the tabernacle. Well, we are filled with the Spirit, but it is distinctive from this Old Testament example here. We, We don't receive the Spirit and the Spirit leave us. You receive the Spirit when you, by faith, turn to him. When you by faith trust in the finished work of the gospel, you receive half of the Spirit? No. 75% of the Spirit? No. You receive the fullness of the Spirit that dwells inside of you that is doing what? What seals your salvation? Is doing what? Is sanctifying you. That's a word that we need to know. It just means that we're growing to look more like Jesus. The Spirit of God has a work, and you know what that work is? To make you look more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, think more like Jesus. So if you are a follower of Him, the Spirit is not done with you. I think this is really good news. That that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter the mistakes behind you, the mistakes beside you, or potentially in front of you, the Spirit of God has a work, and you are that work. And that work is not complete until he comes in his second coming, or we meet him in death. And until then, there we, we should all walk around with huge signs on us as followers of Jesus that simply says, work in progress. Your son and daughter is a work in progress. Your husband, your wife is a work in progress. Don't lose heart. The spirit of God is inexhaustible. So it might be exhausting for you, even in your prayer life, you're you're praying for that breakthrough to see the fruit of the Spirit in the life of a son or a daughter. You're praying for that breakthrough for you, the follower of Christ, that's a brother or sister to come back from that foreign land. And, And you are growing tired. But aren't you thankful that the God that you pray to has the Spirit of God that dwells in your loved one, your friend, your co-worker, and that spirit never stops working. But as Christians, very interestingly, we are called to be filled with the spirit. Now, what does this mean? It doesn't mean that we are filled with the spirit like Bezalel was filled with the spirit here. We have all the spirit that dwells in us at our conversion. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 is a very important passage. And it is one of the clearest passages in the New Testament about this very teaching. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice that Paul is contrasting what it means to to grieve the Spirit with drunkenness. What it means to be filled with the Spirit by comparison. The comparison is really clear here. When a person has over-consumed alcohol, we say what? We say that person is under the influence. What is a DUI? A DUI is what? It is driving under the influence. If you make a choice to over-consume alcohol, it is going to have a control over you. It is going to influence you in such a way that it affects your thoughts, it affects your speech, it affects your movements, so you, you stutter and you can stagger, your coordination is off, your inhibitions are gone because you've done what? You've made a choice that has yielded control to a foreign substance that then produces a change in your life. And it, and it doesn't matter what you think about that. The choice yields control, and when you yield control, there's a change in our behavior, our speech, our thoughts, choice that leads to control that leads to change. And Paul says, hey, I've got a better option. Instead of making the choice to be filled with wine and that is going to produce a a change in your life, how about this? You be filled with the Spirit. Well, if the Holy Spirit indwells us when we become Christians and there's the ongoing process of our growth in Jesus, what does it then mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, it is a daily choice to follow the Holy Spirit's direction. To be filled with the Spirit is to submit the control of our life to his direction, his power, his authority. And when we make that choice to submit control to the Spirit, what happens? There's a change. The Spirit works in our life to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is a change in our thoughts, Our behaviors, our speech. So instead of the works of the flesh, this is Galatians chapter 5, we have the fruit of the Spirit. So the change of the Spirit means that we are loving and joyful and we're patient and we're kind. And there's goodness and there's faithfulness and there's gentleness and there's self-control that is growing in us here. What are we doing? We're living under the influence of the Spirit. We're walking in. In the spirit, yielding control to God for his direction and his power. And that change becomes evident. When people get close to us, that change becomes evident in your life and in my life. So the closer they get to us, the more distinctive our life looks to them because there's proximity to the work of the spirit in your life and in my life. Now, to be filled with the spirit, Christian, uh, it's not for the few and the proud. It is not the spiritual elite. It is not post-conversion 10 years when you have a mountaintop experience. It's not a second blessing. It is yielding by your choice control to the spirit of God that then produces a change in how you live. Let's see this. I know what you're thinking right now. Boy, this pastor is very serious about this whole alcohol illustration right here. So two empty glasses. Glass A, glass B. What, what, what did you have for supper last night? Think about that for a second. Uh, Do some of you have um, wonderful pizza last night in the First slice, turn to the second slice. The third slice, turn to the fourth. I mean, you just you just overindulge. I don't know. Maybe it was 10.15 last night, 10.30. Trying to go to sleep and you feel your dinner. So you fumble around in the medicine cabinet and you pull out alka You Fill up a glass, maybe akin to what's before you here and you plop the Alka-Seltzer right into the glass. You have the Alka-Seltzer in the glass, fully filling the glass. But we've made a choice to have a barrier that is over the glass that prevents the filling of the substance and the very transformation of the water. Or, more likely, you open the package. And you pulled out the first and plopped it in. You pulled out the second and you plopped it in. Both substances, these waters are both equally filled but there's a barrier in this glass. And there's some of you in this room who are followers of Jesus that have the spirit of God that dwells in you, but you've made a choice to yield your life to the control of the world, to the control of the flesh, to the control of sin. And there is a barrier around The Spirit's filling in your life, and you're grieving the Spirit. The Spirit is present, but there's a barrier to the effect. And each day, each day when we make a choice to deny self, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus, each day when we make a choice to yield our life to the control of the power and authority of God, There's a change. There there is a transformational work that occurs as the fullness of the Spirit takes effect in our minds, takes effect in our thoughts, our words, our very behavior. So I'm talking to Christians here this morning. Which glass are you? Both have the spirit, but one has a barrier. Let us pray.